Well, amen. I want to begin this evening by reading from chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a little longer than I usually like to read, but I do want to include this or share this with you this evening. Those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. The perseverance of the saints does not depend on their own free will, but upon the unchangeableness of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, on the continuing presence of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and on the nature of the covenant of grace. These are grounds for the certainty and infallibility of their perseverance. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the pervasiveness of the corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means by which they are to be preserved, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue in them. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grievous spirit. Some measure of God's graces and comforts is taken from them and they have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. They harm others and give them occasion to sin and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. I begin there because the most common question that I'm asked or even it could be considered an objection that I receive when we read passages like we already have in Hebrews chapter 3 is... Why does the author admonish these believers to whom he's writing to not harden their hearts and exhort them to persevere to the end when the Bible specifically promises that our salvation is secure and that God will, in fact, preserve us? In other words, how can we reconcile this Apparent antinomy that exists due to the presence of both the exhortations that are present for Christians to persevere and at the same time assurances of God's preservation of them. For some, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to warn people of the possibility. Of apostatizing and permanently falling away from grace when the basis or the grounds of our salvation is the election and love of the Father, the work of Christ, and the presence of the Spirit in in our lives. But listen again to the first half of paragraph 3 of chapter 17, it says, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the pervasiveness of the corruption remaining in them, and then listen to this, and the neglect of the means by which they are to be preserved, fall into grievous sins. You see, the answer to the question and the answer to the objection, the answer that I give when those questions or objectives come That there isn't an apparent quandary. Because the reality is the warnings to persevere that are found in passages like Hebrews 3. And this is just the first of several throughout the book of Hebrews. 
But these warnings to persevere serve as means by which God preserves us. Right? The means by which we persevere or or the, the warnings for us to persevere are means by which God preserves his people. And we're going to see that here tonight in this passage, because the Lord has not only ordained the ends. He's ordained the means as well. He's ordained the means. And so it's it's not only the warnings themselves that the Lord uses, but it's the context in which we hear the warnings that he uses. What I mean is this in chapter three or paragraph three of chapter 18 of our confession, it says this. A true believer may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that hope shall never make them ashamed. This certainty is founded on the divine truth of the promises of salvation. But the true believer may wait long and contend with many difficulties before he partakes of that infallible assurance of his salvation. Yet because he is enabled by the spirit to know the things which are freely given to him by God, he may, without any extraordinary revelation, attain this assurance by proper use of the ordinary means. Now, what does he mean? What are the what are the divines mean? Well, in other words, brothers and sisters, one of the ways God has chosen to preserve us. One of the ways he has chosen to preserve his children is through the proclamation and preaching of the warnings that he has not only spoken through, but through which he continues to speak. And, and again, the writer of Hebrews knows this, right? Because he's writing to these people who are facing this escalation of persecution from the Romans. They're facing persecution and pressure from their own people, from other Jews who are putting pressure on them to forsake Christ and to revert back and to to come back to their Judaism. They, They want them to renounce their faith. And the language of this passage suggests that they haven't done so yet. And so he's wanting to encourage them and provide comfort and assurance By bringing their attention back to Jesus. He wants to bring them back to Jesus. Even in the midst of their circumstances. Despite their circumstances. Come back. Look to Christ. But he also knows that sometimes. And you and I can identify this. Sometimes we need more than just gentle encouragement. Sometimes we need to be warned. We need to be warned. And hear that there are consequences to wrong choices. We need to hear that, that there and be reminded that there are certain choices that are, are and actions that are wrong. And so the bottom line is the, the purpose of the preaching of this passage is the same as it was for the writing of this passage. And, and there are three that I would like to share as we begin. The, the first is this. First, this is for those whose faith is strong. The message is for those whose faith is strong. The hope is that the preaching of this passage will fortify your faith. And cause you in the days and weeks ahead to always examine your faith. And to make your election sure. And then so that you can come alongside others who may not be in that same place. 
speaking of, that, that's the second purpose. This, this passage, the, the preaching of it and, and, the re, and the writing of it and the hearing of it is for those whose faith is weak. Some of you may be wavering and on the verge of giving in to sin. You're on the edge of, of giving up hope and buckling under to some kind of pressure to forsake Christ. And you're in need of help. And you waffle back and forth between I believe and help my unbelief. And so this passage is to encourage you and, and lead you to repent if needed. And, and to seek help within the body and to pay much closer attention to what you've heard. And to look to and consider the Lord Jesus. As we've been encouraged to do over the last few weeks. And then of course the third purpose is for, for those who have not professed faith in Christ. You have not placed your faith and trust in Him. And it's in Him alone. Through which we are saved. And so the passage. The hope is that the passage and the pre- preaching of this passage. Will bring you to a place to encourage you. Not only to to acknowledge your sin, but to repent of your sin and to look to Christ for salvation. Our text tonight is, has already been read by Wes. is from chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. And our outline is going to look like this. Again, I apologize it's not actually written in your bulletin, but uh, there is space for you to write this down. We're going to look at the admonition of the passage. We're going to look at the illustration of the passage. We'll look at the ramification we will see the exhortation and then finally we will make application. All right? So it's the admonition, the illustration, ramification, exhortation, and then the application. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we would ask that you would, by your spirit, allow us tonight to consider Christ and that we would do so in such a way that our souls would expand and as our souls expand may he expand would you open our eyes and ears and enlighten our minds in such a way that we find him bigger this week may we consider him more fully and completely and as we do would you help us to strive to enter into the rest that you provided for us in and through him please Use me in such a way that you accomplish the ends you desire through the simple means you have ordained. Which is the preaching of your word. Speak through what you have already spoken. And I pray these things in the more excellent name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Well, you'll notice that the first in verse 7, the first word that he uses is... The word therefore, and this is the fourth time that he's used it since we began the letter back in chapter one. And of course, we've said each of those times that when that word is used, it's connecting what is to come with what has already been. And so when we read this word, therefore, in verse seven, we're actually connecting it back to verse six, where the writer said, if you remember at our conclusion last week, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And you remember as we approached this verse or as we read this verse, we said that this isn't the typical conditional statement or if then statement. He is not saying if they hold fast and persevere, then they will become a part of his house. 
He is saying that they already are a part of his house. And because they are a part of his house, this is what they in fact will do. They can be assured that they are a part of his house if they hold fast. So they come to the end and they've held fast. They can be confident of who they are in Christ. Another way we put that would be that those who are of his house and his people will in fact endure to the end. It's a great assurance. But we also said that that faith that they express and that they hold to the end is is tested. It's tested through trials and sufferings. It's tested through persecution. And, And the purpose of those things is to prove that their faith is in fact genuine. And when their faith is genuine, they persevere in the midst of those trials and difficulties and hardships. Actually, they persevere despite them. And so the bottom line, as we said last week, was the people of God and those who are in his house or a part of his house will hold fast. They will remain confident. They will continue to boast. And God will preserve his house and the surety of that preservation will be put on display as his house perseveres in the hope till the end. It's a marvelous promise. But he follows that up again because he has means by which there are means. God has determined means by which he brings about that preservation. And so in verse seven, the author says, therefore, in light of that. You as his people are called to, as the spirit says today, if you hear his voice to not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. You look down at verse 12, he says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Then down in verse 13, it says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then in verse 15, he repeats what he did back in verse eight. And he says, do not harden your hearts. So the admonition is very clear throughout this entire passage. He's saying, look, don't become obstinate. Don't be stubborn. Don't harden your heart. Don't succumb to the pressure of the trials and the sufferings of of the past and that are escalating in the present. He says, "Don't, don't give in to that which is pushing you to shrink back. Don't give in to that which is causing you to consider throwing up your hands and saying something like, well, God must not be for us. He's saying, don't don't say he must not be all powerful or he would do something about this mess that we're in. He's saying, don't don't say he must not be loving or kind or these things wouldn't be happening. He's he's saying, don't don't say or think that he's abandoned us or doesn't care. He's also saying, don't complain, don't grumble about anything, because these are symptoms of unbelief. He's saying, don't succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. Don't succumb to the deceitfulness within your own heart. Don't uh, don't succumb to the great deceiver himself, the enemy who is Satan. All three of them will entice you. All three of them will, will cause you to believe that God isn't for you. All three of those things are going to say that he doesn't want um, his best for you. 
They're going to cause you to think that he's holding back from you and that and that there are so many things that are better for you. And he just doesn't want you to have them things that you deserve and things that you need. Because the reality is they're going to turn a bait and switch. They're going to look really appealing and then they're going to ensnare you. And the longer you entertain those things, the deeper and deeper you go into your unbelief and the harder your heart gets. Because the bottom line is unbelief is just evil. And then to solidify his case, he does what he's been doing since we began. He pulls out his Old Testament. He says, let me show you what I'm talking about. And he quotes from Psalm 95. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, this is the illustration that he gives. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And then down in verse 15, he continues and says, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? The, the, the way he presents this is magnificent. It's really brilliant. Because he says, basically, as he writes this, he said, this isn't merely my opinion. I'm not sharing my opinion with you because my word is not authoritative. God's word is authoritative and it is God himself through the Holy Spirit that attests to the fact that you should not harden your heart. It's the Holy Spirit himself who is saying that he's speaking through what he has already spoken in Psalm 95 and his hearers would have just caught on to this immediately for for a couple of reasons. One is they would know that it was Psalm 95 because this was a psalm that they would have recited a part of every Sabbath at the beginning in the synagogue as a call to worship. So those words would have been ringing in their ears. But also, the passage itself points to two events in the Old Testament that would have been very, very familiar with them. Two events in the life of Israel. One is from Exodus 17. And just after their deliverance from Egypt, they're in the desert and the people are doing what? Surprise, surprise. They're grumbling and complaining because, oh, poor them, they're thirsty. They don't have enough to drink. So God... Of course, gave Moses instruction to to strike the rock, which he did and produce the water. But listen to what the Lord says in verse seven of chapter 17 in Exodus. He says, and he called the name of the place Massa, which means testing and Meribah, which means rebellion because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And then he says this. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The writer is saying. The root cause of their testing, the root cause of their rebellion is unbelief. They just don't believe the Lord. And the second event is from Numbers 14. The Israelites are at Kadesh Barnea. And their their unbelief comes to this 
head because there they are at the edge of the promised land and they are to take 12 spies and to go in and spy the land and they do and they come back and we know the story. Ten of them say, nope, not going in. Too many people. They're too big. We can't do it. The odds are too great. We have no chance. You know, and Caleb and Joshua are standing over there and saying, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. And of course... The people listened to the ten. And the results were devastating. In Exodus, or excuse me, in Numbers 14, it says in verse 10 and 11, Then all the congregation said to stone them. We're going to stone Caleb and Joshua because they were standing in the way. But the glory of the Lord appeared to the tent of meeting, at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And then he says this. And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. I mean, think about just a few of the things the Lord had done, right? All the evidence. All the miracles. All the signs and wonders. The fire. The pillar of fire. The, the, the cloud. And, and yet, they did not believe and went their own way. So the author is using this again brilliantly, using this example, using the psalm to remind them of of the price. And the problem first of disobedience and unbelief or disbelief and disobedience to remind them of their forefathers. Right. Because we've said they've they've been interested in reverting back. We're going to go back to what we used to do. And he's saying, number one, don't do that. But and here's why. In other words, why would you go back to do what it is they were doing when they ended up where they ended up? And that brings us, of course, to the ramification. In verse 11, he says, as I swore in my wrath, God says, they shall not enter my rest. In verse 12, it says... Leading you to fall away from the living God. In verse 17 and 18 it says. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? Whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Their unbelief for the nation of Israel had led them to being barred from the promised land. That place that they would experience rest. It was a severe consequence. We have to remember they were the only ones serving the living God. All of those in in Canaan weren't serving a living God. They were serving idols. And yet the Israelites did what? They chose to abandon the one and only living God. As Chase was saying. They abandoned the greatest. The only one and living God. And they fell away. And everyone who was over the age of 20 at the time of the exodus... Could not enter. They ran out of today's. And they didn't forsake their unbelief and turn back to the Lord. They forfeited the promise. And so the author is saying, don't don't you see? Don't you see the problem? Don't you see what I'm trying to warn you of? It's insane to think that you can do what your forefathers did and not end up where your forefathers ended up. 
And if you think the consequences were severe for your forefathers, the consequences are even greater today. If you forsake Christ, you will forfeit your hope. You will forfeit your eternal rest. You can, as we read, we can hear the, the pleading in the midst of the warning. Because salvation is by faith alone, but it's a faith that endures. And he says, finish strong. Finish strong. But this is why the exhortation then is so important. When we get through the ramification and we see the exhortation, look at verse 12. He says, take care, brothers. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we hear why the admonition, or even though, I guess I should say, the admonition is so stern and the ramification, of course, is very, very severe. The exhortation is is pastoral and it's gentle and it's kind and and it's filled with this brotherly affection. And he says, watch out. Watch out for yourselves. Examine your own hearts. Oh, that you would not be like those who've gone before. Oh, that you would be like your forefathers. Don't do what they did. Don't do what they did in the wilderness. They spurned the living God. May it not be that way with you. But he says, but let me also say, you can't do this alone. You you can't do this alone. It's not something that we can do by ourselves. You can't fight this battle. You can't endure without one another. One hardened heart would do so much damage to the whole group in various ways at different levels. So he says, exhort one another. Encourage one another. Come alongside one another. It's interesting. This word, it's kind of, we could use our vernacular in this, how this word or in the meaning of this word. He basically says, call each other out. Call one another out. Do it and do it every day while you still have today. There will come a point when we run out of today's. So do it as long as you have today. Don't be like the Israelites in the, in, in the wilderness who ran out of those todays. And why? Why are we to do that? Because he, and he says it's important that you do this for one another because those who are united to Christ are united to one another. You're partaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you endure to the end, you will see that what has been promised has been purchased and kept for you by Christ. You can hear him. Don't look at yourselves. Don't look at your circumstances. Look to him. Don't give up. Hold on to your original confidence. What was their original confidence? The gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's the gospel. The same gospel that they believed by faith. 
Right? It was through their faith in Christ. The faith was the conduit through which they were saved. And it's the same gospel that they needed. He's saying something that we need so desperately to hear today. That the gospel is not something that we need to start our journey and then move on to something else. He's saying, no, you need the gospel to begin. You need the gospel to continue. You need the gospel to finish well. We need Jesus. He's greater than Moses. He's the greater mediator of a better covenant. He's the one to whom we should look. He was the one to whom we should look in the past. He's the one that we should look to in the present. He's the one that we should look to to the future. Right? The object of our faith remains the same because that object remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because the Lord Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is, that is all true of us. It's all true of us. Right? We said this a couple of weeks ago. It's all true of us because we are offspring of Abraham. We're spiritual offspring, Galatians 3 tells us. And so all of this is for us. And so I didn't, I didn't have to work real hard to find points of application. Because they're all right here. Brothers and sisters, first, we need to heed the same warning. We need to hear the warning. We need to heed it. For the same spirit who spoke, th- spoke Psalm 95 through the original author. And then spoke through it again a thousand years later to the, to the people that received the letter. Is the same spirit who continues to speak through it to us another 2,000 years later. And the Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't go astray. Take care lest there be an unbelieving heart in our midst. And may the Lord use that warning to persevere, to preserve you. To do what He has ordained to do. Secondly, we need to maintain the same watchful eye. The same watchful eye. For we need each other if we're going to persevere. You and I need one another. And I don't do a lot of this, but I'm going to do it. In my 30 plus years, and that makes me sound old and I feel it. But in my 30 plus years of ministry. I can tell you that I've learned that a professing believer's isolation and lack of identification... And consistent involvement with the local church is a telltale sign that something is wrong. Something's wrong. And we can and we live in in the day of technology, so we can listen to all the podcasts we want to listen to, and we can watch all the sermons online that we we want to, and, and we can re- read our Bibles and our devotions and blogs every day. But if we aren't consistently and actively involved with one another, availing ourselves of the simple means of grace, if we aren't regularly gathering with one another, knowing one another and allowing ourselves to be known, we're headed for a fall. Hear hear that with that that same pastoral, brotherly affection 
the kindness that the author intends. We must come alongside one another. We must watch ourselves, but we must watch each other. We have, we, while we have this opportunity, and we gently and lovingly and sometimes sternly call one another out. That's not easy. It's scary. But it's needed. It's our responsibility as those who have been united to Christ and are therefore united with one another. And we're to do that not just on the Lord's Day, but every day. Lastly, we need to cling to the same original confidence. The same original confidence. We are no better than unfaithful Israel. And thanks be to God that we now look back and see how Christ has fulfilled the promise. And we see that he was the true and faithful Israel. And so we need to remember that he he was led into the wilderness by the spirit in which where he was tempted in the same way. He was tempted and, and while there he did not complain about a lack of food. He did not He did not test the Lord. He did not rebel and turn away and worship another. He did everything that Israel failed to do. And he did it for you and for me. He was faithful for us. And our sin and our failures and our faithlessness are all covered by his righteousness. His righteousness has been given to us. It's been imputed to us. And we will enter his rest If we continue to pay much closer attention to him and consider him as we've been exhorted to do. If we continue to to pay attention to what we've heard. If we continue to look to him and consider him. If we keep our eyes on him. And the same gospel that saved us. Will be the same gospel that will enable us to persevere to the end. Thanks be to God that he has provided not only. Has not only ordained the ends but has ordained the means. May we avail ourselves to those means. Let's go to one prayer. Father, would you now by your spirit.